I had a I ha- I have a um, a way I want to begin this this episode, right? You got an order you wish okay. to impose. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey Mr. DJ, put a <laughs> put a record on. I want to dance with five babies. <laughs> boom, boom. Is that the sound? That is, and when the music starts, it oh, never no, goes. Uh, 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 yeah, uh, 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 and you're like, boom, boom. Yeah, I don't even fuck. Like, also, they're like. Speaking the- of boom, watch the desk. Yeah. Okay, but like, do you remember when you and Cheryl were doing Apocalypse Tonight and there was a full on, like, a whole audience involved conversation around the lyrics of this song? Yes, because, oh my God, Sean Faye yes. once. Um, uh, once uh, did a, a Facebook status, which was my, uh, my friendships, uh, my friends list is, uh, a 50, 50 divide between people who learned the word, uh, bourgeoisie from, uh, the communist manifesto and people who learned the word bourgeoisie from the song music by Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> well, also the stupid thing in that is it says music makes the bourgeoisie and the rebel. As yes. in, like, you are you are determined, like, which is, that? I mean, I'm sorry, Madonna, no, class relations make one the bourgeoisie or the rebel. Like, uh, not, uh, not music. But there are, re- like, there are rebellions in uh, the ruling class because neoliberalism can be conceptualised as a, oh God, <laughs> we got here pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, neoliberalism can be conceptualised, um, and I think is truly, is, can be truly understood as a rebellion in, uh, in the, the ruling class. That there was a dominant section of the ruling class who was co- uh, going along with the welfare state, and then there was a section who decided no, and they event. So you can you can be a rebel in the bourgeoisie or in the working class or in um, uh, that filthy swamp in between. No, I disagree. But like, um, no, like absolutely, because rebel like a rebel is just someone who fights against something. Yeah, but like, like a rebel isn't inherently good at no, all. No, but that's no, but it's also as well. It's just kind. It's just It's like uh, the welfare state was sort of this like post-war consensus, and then like neoliberalism came about like uh, in the seventies, and it's just I just see this as like. Uh, a generational situation. This is like someone rebelling against their parents, but like ultimately it's just like conforming to like the ideals of perpetuating capitalism. No, but like this, this, the, you couldn't conform to neoliberal ideals because someone had to make them up and then people had to prosecute these claims. It was a, it was a class war. Like you can't, like you, you can't replace class war with an idea of generations. No, wait, hang on a second. You're saying then you're saying neoliberal, yeah, but then neoliberalism is a class war on the the ruling class. No, it's just like the ruling class, it like like fighting back against uh, the gains that had been made by the working class and the concessions that had been given by the ruling class. Yeah, but at the to s- make the welfare state at the same time though, the welfare state was basically the welfare state simply was a compromise that came about to stop the workers from organizing. Uh, exactly. And so, but the thing is, though, the welfare state was just about a perpetuation of capital accumulation. Yes. So, the, in that sense, then the welfare state is just part of capitalism. Yeah, absolutely. So then the, it's, it's just... There's it's just the thing consist- that saves capitalism. So it, there's just this continuous process of class war with just like a different wanker at the wheel. Yeah, absolutely. Class war's never stopped. I guess, except in the last 30 years, the Social Democrats stopped fighting back. Yeah. So, so, so that that's a kind of peace, I guess. Except <laughs> that, except that, yeah. But this is probably... 
the most dense conversation that has ever come out of those lyrics. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember the music video, Ali G was the driver? Oh my god. Oh, wow. Okay, so uh, on that note, I am Queen of the Heavens and of the Earth, Empress of Despair, Architect of Your Eternal Suffering, Olympia Bukakis. And I'm... Oh, no. I just... <laughs> Oozing gloop. And you're listening to our podcast, Slurry. 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 We need to to hire someone to like do PR to like help us find a... Ali G. (laughs) We need to get Ali G to help us do some PR because his brand is still like tip top in the year 2021. Um, uh, No, uh, Borat did very well in 2020. That's true. That's true. Um, uh, so our topic for today, which you, dear listener, already know because uh, you clicked, uh, you clicked on this uh, this link. Stop this giving them intent. They just got the notification and they clicked listen. The swine. Yeah, but they clicked it. They clicked it. They could have not clicked it. Thank you for clicking it. <laughs> they put <laughs> a cursor on it. <laughs> I've been, I've become so so grateful for the like the smallest uh, like the, like morsels of validation that I can get from uh, any audience. I was just thinking the other day I would fucking kill someone in my dreams apparently um, yeah. uh, to to be in front of an audience. But I'm grateful to you, dear listener, for listening to this. And uh, because you did click on this. Um, thereby validating Uzing Gloop and I, uh, you know that the topic today is music, the thing that makes yeah. both the bourgeoisie and the rebel. Yeah. Although, I, yeah, like you, I would say, actually, the thing that makes the bourgeoisie and uh, like other classes is the relationship to the means of production. Yep. Uh, and not as some people have taken, like, because people are talking about class more now and like, like people in the arts. <laughs> I've got to start being uh, more specific. But like, not as people um, are increasingly talking about like your taste in music or how many books were in your house. They're, like These are at best a potential indicator of class. But class is determined by your relationship to the means of production. I don't know how many times we have to say this. Well, the thing is, right, is that I've, said, I've basically said this for uh, uh, this year, at least. <laughs> I think a while, no, but like I've thought this for a while. But like basically, if critiquing capitalism was going to work it would have worked by now so and the also that basically and i used i'm nodding vigorously yeah nodding vigorously like i also used to talk with a a friend about this who it was their middle class identity was very important to them but there is no such thing as the middle class like there is there's two classes there's and uh those are owners and there are producers and then within that what there is is there's the imaginary fiction or imaginary uh, taxonomy of class of that we use to, which basically is to create a division within the working class so that they do not unite and overthrow uh, the ruling class, basically. And also, and that's just done by, by elevating certain, certain proletariats to a certain, to a a level of material comfort, but also at the same time as well, that this, I, I suppose that that is a very Marxist orthodoxy. And the world has progressed somewhat. The, the even the notion of a coherent proletariat existing uh, itself is a problematic assumption. Yeah, I think what Marx goes into, I think it's the 18th premiere of uh, Napoleon Bonaparte 
but uh, don't quote me, um, where he actually goes down into like more spe- into the specifics of like different class operations in France, um, and he goes into the petty bourgeoisie and stuff. And I do think like uh, like. I do think that the middle class exists, but not as it's popularly considered, like as in like a, se- a set of markers of so so-called um, uh, cultural capital. Like that, like the like we do see people well, like who have um, like a small means of production of their own um, that like have different material interests sometimes. So like this this helps us explain uh, like. Uh, support for Trump, which is much more of a middle class phenomenon than like a working class phenomenon. Um, yeah, but it's also as well. And, it's wait, sorry, I've interrupted you. Well, it's, it's, I think you also saw this with the Nazis. Uh, originally, had a lot of their support in uh, in the middle class, um, and so I, I do think it's it can be useful to talk about them. But you are right in that there's only <laughs> there's two sides. <laughs> You're either with us or against us. Yeah, no, there are, <laughs> and it's also as well as that basically the petty bourgeois also Marx said that this will slowly disappear under capital accumulation, because. But I think he was wrong. But the thing is, though, sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, no, it's fine. Like you think, yeah, you think it's wrong, but like, no, he wasn't. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like that. Basically, if you look, if you compare, like, you can't. It is not possible to compare the petty bourgeois today or even of the time with the conglomerate that is Amazon. Like, you know, in terms of like the level of like, of like, bit like, and so basically as well as that the petty bourgeois in comparison to billionaires, uh, there is no comparison. These things are not, are not linked in the same way. Like they just absolutely aren't. And that we are in such a level beyond. What's very interesting is that with the, what I think is quite interesting about Marx and this notion of like uh, the inevitable like communism isn't this a great I'm loving this this podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. music like, <laughs> music is such a good topic I'm, I'm loving it I'm, I'm like, loving this... it yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> like I just like oh god I'm really loving this this Madonna oh Madonna and Marx oh yeah <laughs> fucking music baby oh I'm squeezing my little titties together like once Madonna and once maybe tattoo I've been looking waiting for some nipple tattoos for a long time Madonna and Marx above each nipple I want you to tattoo the words Madonna and Marx on me. I, there's a meme that I saw, which was a picture of um, Marx. Yeah. And then it was a quote. And it said, because we are living in a material world and I am a material girl, oh. Karl Marx. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. I mean, right? I have thought that for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, completely. Also as well, like, by the way, I used to have two t-shirts from the Karl Marx hostel on Karl Marx Strasser. Mm-hmm. Like and they used to say Carl um, and they were going to say pictures of Karl Marx on them saying Karl Marx says relax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, so like, like I think this is actually a good this is a good thing to say to sort of like oh my god to the triggered queer left. <laughs> oh yeah, fuck the triggered queer left, just like, bunch like, of wankers. Babe, like the the most important thing to do is just like relax. We need to overthrow capitalism. Like the problem that you're feeling right now, like I'm sure you're very angry at this stranger on the internet, but you can relax. We can get through this. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, um, I, w- I wanted to say, I totally agree that there's no, there's no um, moral, like moral, like, uh, like distinction, but like, uh, or like the, the, the magnitude of difference between like Jeff Bezos and um, say like a small, like, fruit store owner yeah. and and someone who works for Amazon like of course that like that the like that like mm. uh, technically middle class and technically working class those two people have much more in common and much more common interests and um 
but it's um, that I think that there's a specific kind of like situational knowledge because we talked about this last time mm. or the time before. There's a specific kind of situ- situational knowledge that comes from knowing immediately that you have no control over the way that your working life operates. Whereas if you own a small business, mm. you have uh, the illusion of control over your own life. And so, and you don't understand. So it's, it's not, it's, sometimes it's not as easy to intuitively understand that it is the capitalist class that is causing uh, like the problems that you have in your life because the overtaxation of uh, small business, the fact that uh, all of the financial setup like incentivizes them to exploit their workers. Mm-hmm. Um, like all of that means that like the small business owner is, is very often like, uh, I, I'm not going to talk about like proportional proportions, but they have an incentive. It's set up so that they will blame their workers for a lack of profits rather than the system, which is also not there. So it's useful to talk about the middle class in that sense, because that helps us understand why it is that they can be a reactionary force. But of course, the truth is that yeah. they have their proper interests in line with the working class. Well, like yeah, thank you and thank Madonna for this conversation. Yeah, 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 I've yeah. been wanting to have this for ages. Yeah, but the, the, thing <laughs> that the middle class that's just it. They are a reactionary force. They're people who are given this thing. And basically, the point is that between the petty bourgeoisie and like the actual bourgeoisie, like is it's just it's crisis. It's just you just see what happens when there's a crisis. When there's an economic crisis, who will get? Who will lose? access to the means of production and who will retain them and of course loads of people and so loads of people lost their businesses and it's also as well the other thing is that what's very interesting is that i was as part of our research for music today i was listening to uh, uh and also just some other stuff i was listening to the age of aquarius earlier and then i was like listening to hair and watching the videos, which like I've never actually seen uh, the film Hair, but it's all about like these hippies in like the fucking seventies or whatever, and it all ends in Vietnam. Um, and um, but what's kind of interesting, right, is that we've gone from this place. We've we've like is that we used to have like this, this place of work and this place of politics, and then there was sort of this this space of rebellion or freedom or, or counterculture and all these things, and that cultural capitalism has completely commodified this now like hugely and it's like because I, I like Rancière says this wonderful thing which is as soon as you try and house politics you evict it and i would argue the same thing with freedom like as soon as you house freedom you evict it because of course it's freedom so this idea of this you know and i think the best the best thing that that depicts this is like a che Guevara sticker yeah you know it's just like yeah. oh this is the, the commodification of revolution it's like actually fundamentally this and so that actually that there was this space that opened up that was productive you know this the space of freedom that was productive the space of you sort of like uh interaction and that then what happened is that then but it, within these spaces say like for example music festivals like in the 60s or stuff that was like oh my god like you know it was this, this, this utopia but of course these places require services like food vans and all these things and stuff and so then what happened now is these places are incredibly heavily commodified and from this we've had from this the the second half of the 20th century every cultural aspect has been commodified within an inch of its life and now it's produced this moment where people are are forced we're still now basically we're forced you even in our hobbies our hobbies now are situations where they if we want to have pursue them we have to make them our profession and then you have to sell these things for your survival we're back in a situation where all of our passions we have to sell for our survival and there is now no space no open space for countercultural for freedom in that sense whilst uh, and we've just extended the space of capitalistic control and exploitation mm-hmm. and domination 
Yeah, yeah. There's, I, th- I, I think you're right. I like. There's Mark Fisher in this book, Ghosts of My Life. I haven't read it because he started <laughs> talking about. No, no, no. I've read the introduction, but I haven't read all of the chapters. Um, I haven't read the parts that I'm talking about. <laughs> but like, um, in the introduction, about... describing one of the chapters that I didn't read, but the summary was simply fascinating. Wait, 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 yeah, wait. Because... Pause the recording. Get up the cliff notes, okay? And. <laughs> That would be much more your style. I wouldn't I, pause. I do it live. <laughs> yeah, I know. You just have to tap, 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 tap. We're tap. landing together. And then, and then be like, oh, oops. Yeah, sorry. I forgot we were recording. <laughs> um, uh, so there, um, uh, in this book, he's talking about like popular culture and the effects of uh, like uh, like financialized capitalisms, like increasing sort of like uh, like preying on any sort of um, uh, like creativity, right? And then so he it talks about these processes, how in the UK over the last few decades, it's become less and less possible for working class people to make art. Uh, so you have less and less working class people uh, making uh, music, TV, all of this sort of stuff. Um, and as a result, uh, like you don't have this, um, um, this, like dynamic like uh, interchange between a large group of people mm. that comes up with actually interesting like formal and conceptual innovation yeah and so what you have is this increasing um recycling of shit ideas and he, he he talks about in the 90s the ghastly return of the boy band because the boy bands that we grew up like that were really popular when we were growing up yeah they they were the reanimated corpse of like boy bands from the 50s so yeah. there were a, a regression and so and as we go on we've gotten to the absurd point where you can like the the new movies that we get are all remakes yeah, 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 because yeah, yeah, yeah. Because working class people have been so far, so intensively shut out of uh, like the production of mass culture uh, that it has just become like just become a vehicle for making money. It's kind of what like what uh, financial fa- financialized capitalism, like or the financial sector of capitalism, has turned the whole market to being like for it. Yeah. Right? Whereas it was once one section of because of course under capitalism like cultural production has always been about making money. Like mm. art has always been a commodity in an art ma- market. It's not like a good old days where it was genuine and real, like this romantic idea. But it also, it like, uh, like there were also times when it wasn't entirely just like, mm. uh, like when it's, when its entire existence wasn't totally um, like cannibalized by this need yeah. to, uh, to create a profit. Yeah. But it's also thing. the thing is right is things, the intrinsic nature of something changes every day that history moves forward basically so that rock and roll at one point was like the fucking right rebellion and it was like oh my god and all these things and now we look back on a lot of rock and roll and we actually just see it like uh, and it was this explosion of things and we just see it basically as white people appropriating uh, rhythm and blues uh, to then produce this whole cultural sector and actually that it's also in that what's really great, you know, and the really great example of this is people like John Lydon from like the Sex Pistols and like also the band Kiss, who were like these like really like rebellious like rockers and stuff like that being saying shit like vote for Trump. Like, you know, like, um, yeah. and that actually that we've just, what <clears throat> the rock and roll, and it's like there was a moment where this was genuinely rebellious, but now the majority of like rock and roll, you just look by it, is this very institutionalized, very pale male and stale. 
I, I totally agree. But this is where I would go in with the, it's very rebellious, but I think something doesn't have to be threatening or progressive in order to be rebellious. Like rebellion is just a refusal against, mm. and they can, that can be a refusal against something good or something important or something irrelevant. So like this idea of like against like, <clears throat> uh, like, like just, just being rebellious is for me, not necessarily something that's like, worthwhile or good of course it's like sexy yeah um but um like like rebellious against who it's like your parents <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. You know? well, yeah yeah it's also what well, this is it as well is that the also that people who are used to being catered towards or people who are used to having power as well will treat any any even slight deviation as like oh my god you know it's yeah. like a rebellion and then they'll do that like uh yeah 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 um, but Rihanna's great though Yeah Rihanna's fucking great Oh my god <laughs> Rihanna is so amazing Rihanna I have to like, say That one of my favourite lyrics ever Is in uh, uh, Only Girl in the Wait Wait Say My Name Say My Name In Say My Name Say My Name Is that If you actually listen to it It's about having sex In a traffic jam And What? Yeah it's about having sex In a traffic jam It's like basically that the car, They're in a car And then the only thing We have on is the radio Or something like that And then And uh-huh. then also my favourite line is Crack a window Air it out <laughs> oh, oh goodness <laughs> yeah wow. take me for a ride yeah. ride baby let's get high high uh, you make me feel i'm the only girl that's a different song no you make me feel i'm the only girl oh wait i don't fucking know like like it all just like blends into one gigantic like continuum of gay bar in my first year of university in which rihanna just... was the only redeeming factor like when that album came out, I was taking a lot of ecstasy and the two things had a very, very healthy relationship with each other. <laughs> it was so good. It's just such a good album. But like, yeah, I was, I was wondering cause I, 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 I took, I've been taking singing lessons on and off mm. over the last few years. And it's like, I think it's a common thing with like being a drag queen, that it's like when you're a really good pretend singer, yeah. the idea of becoming a, a passable uh, actual singer is very, very daunting. Yeah. Um, and I, then I like, I like to find songs that I would like to sing and they're all very sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was thinking I would love to do uh, the song Stay, but then I just, I just... I just can't. We should do it together. I'll be the villain. Who's the Who's the villain? Stay by Sister Sister. No, it's Sister Shakespeare's Sisters. I'm thinking Stay by Rihanna. Oh no, uh, baby, you know Stay. The... Stay with me by the Shakespeare's Sisters. Oh, I thought it was just called Stay. Maybe it is. And it's like Stay. Yeah, and then there's like then the, you know this oh, one. That's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah and I you can be like song. the one with like the dying with the dying twi- you know because you would be like the anemic twink who's dying in the bed and you would be like Stay, Stay, and then I'm the and then I'm the toxic best friend who's just waiting for you to be single. Oh my god, I hate everyone in a relationship. They're so fucking annoying. <laughs> Sorry, wait. Uh, apart from Alex and Leanne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great. And I'll be Hi, the Alex and Leanne. And I'll be the evil one that turns up being like let your boyfriend I, die so you can come party with me i so used to be that person <laughs> like i i was definitely the person that like when like someone something was because i was perpetually single until i was 27 no i'm um, still this and, i'm still this person carry on though. yeah well, like I, I yeah like i'm not saying that it was a wrong thing that i did i'm yeah. also happy that i'm single again yeah um but um i was definitely the one who like 
someone in a relationship would have a fight and then they'd ring up and be like, Olivia, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, should we do drugs? <laughs> it, was, it was very much the case. I like it when someone breaks up with their with their partner and you turn up and you also you turn up with that person to go and take drugs with them. Uh, they also you also get all of the cool stuff that they gave them as gifts that they don't want around anymore, but they don't want to throw out because it's nice. <laughs> but you know, also I used to think like oh it's because then you know the party's over and you go home and then you know like i'm going home uh, going to bed by myself and then thinking oh and that person's going back to their partner so you know like you know this isn't the best situation but now having been in a relationship like it is i was definitely the one that was in a better situation because if you like have a fight with your partner and then go out and party for like 24 hours (laughs) going home to that partner and then not having your own space is crap (laughs) (laughs) like going back to a tense uh situation so i was like i'm definitely yeah i was uh i was i was fine i was fine yeah (laughs) yeah just remember yeah yeah remember one time when i had a fight with my partner and like uh i was uh staying i was living with them and i wanted to go home and uh we were on a come down anyway and like um we had an argument i cried and then I was just like, I want to go back now. And they were like, no, not yet. And so I literally just got up and just walked off somewhere. I don't remember where. And the only reason they didn't follow me is because they dropped their phone and they had to run back. I disappeared for like 18 hours taking drugs and then eventually called them up and then they just accepted me home and then put me to bed. And then we were uh, like, nursed me back, like, let me sleep and then nursed me back to health. And it was actually completely fixed everything. So that's really nice. Yeah, it was really nice actually. Yeah. I think it was, I, they were, yeah. they realised that I was ready to just like run away into traffic otherwise. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's nice. Yeah. Um, I what's 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 your favourite song? <sighs> you know, I use the thing is right. Is it's very interesting that I'm really just not a very musical person, um, and it's not something I really understand. But I'm also quite fascinated by my alienation from it. And I used to have. I have favourite songs now. Uh, favourite songs. But now, um, what is my favourite song? Uh, you know what? It's not still my favourite song, but recently uh, I was... Uh, 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 it was so funny that I was completely into Tracy Chapman's Fast Car and then it had a massive revival. I didn't even like... Uh, but also I think that... Also Tracy Chapman, Baby Can I Hold You Tonight is amazing. And then mm. also Tracy Chapman talking about revolution. Uh, but then... Also, uh, I think Kiki and Herb's cover of Running Up That Hill is probably mm-hmm. my favourite go-to right now. I've never heard that. Kiki, and, Do you know Kiki and Herb? I know the name. Kiki is, you know uh, the movie Short Bus? Yes. So the, the brothel mistress in uh, Short Bus is Justin Vivian Bond, who's playing themselves in that movie, who is this yeah. amazing trans performer who became famous with the drag act Kiki and Herb. Uh-huh. Okay, so cool. now they're yeah. just a performer and a singer in their own right. But previously they used to do Kiki, who was like this 80-year-old showgirl who was like on this comeback tour. And um and they uh and they and they, it was a covers band, it was a queer covers band in essence. But like yeah. and their their cover of Total Eclipse I mean also as well, like for a long time it was Total Eclipse of the Heart, <laughs> as we know. Yeah, I was I thought you were gonna say that, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I love it. I love I love like power ballads, but also like Bonnie Tyler, like, oh my god, have you ever seen the rain? is also amazing. And um but yeah, uh I just um I was just at Templehof 
uh, the other day and there was a, a band playing there and I brought their USB stick for 10 euros and it was called Sarango and there was someone playing like basically this weird playing sort of like 70s experimental uh, electric guitar and there's nobody else who was playing the saw. Oh, wow. And it was like yeah. at sunset and it was completely beautiful. And I just loved that I had just encountered this. Because uh, also all these songs I just described, basically the YouTube algorithm is just playing at me all the time when I'm listening to music. Mm-hmm. So uh, so getting that was like, hey, um, so buying this USB stick, uh, it was nice to sort of just very spontaneously encounter a band that I had never heard at this beautiful moment, at this beautiful time. And then the chance to, and I really appreciated them expressing themselves creatively and that I could take a part of that home. And the, the I put the album on my iTunes and um, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. The story's nicer, but like, yeah. Also as well, I have to say that I never really listened to Sophie uh, when uh, and until and then of, co- of course they uh, they unfortunately died recently and I just on that day I just sat there and I listened to every single thing they ever made and just immersed myself in it because I just don't take time uh, obviously as I've been talking for some time now it's quite obvious that I it's very I don't really make a lot of time to take out uh, to set aside to listen to things but yeah. uh, I did on this day and then I, uh, their work is completely amazing. And of course- Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, and of course are the other amazing PC music trans babe, uh, Tammy T. Single right now. Oh yeah. Yeah, what's your favorite song? <clears throat> oh, Single right now. Uh, I, single right now is an amazing say song. Say the lyrics. It's like, uh, what if, so I should sing the lyrics? No, just say them. Oh, say the lyrics. What is it? Is it you, you want to be single right now? Ring, then you meet someone. Then one. And they're really nice. Really nice. And you fall in love, but he's an asshole. Yeah. And, you, and he breaks your heart. And you can't stop, and you can't crying. stop crying. So you, so decide, you decide that, that you, want you want to be, be single, single right, right now. now. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good song. If you're listening to this, dear listeners, and you don't know Tammy T, uh, check it out. She's amazing. Yep. And on Spotify. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, like, I'm sure like Bandcamp and iTunes, just buy it. She's great. Mm. Um, uh, I have a couple of different, Wild is the Wind by Nina Simone is like uh, a fucking sick song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Everything by Nina Simone is like, oh my God, I yeah. completely love yeah. it. Yeah, Nina Simone is amazing. Yeah, she's brilliant. And um, I... I'm really fond of that the the fast food song. You know, it's like a oh, pizza hut, a pizza, hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and a pizza, hut, a pizza, hut, pizza. Like, McDonald's, McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and a pizza. McDonald's. Does anybody fancy a shake? Yeah, that's a great song. I love that. Um, right, if I ever want to uh, summon you, I know what I need to do is put out a syringe of Botox and play that song. Oh my god! Don't, like, oh, don't get me started. If you inject my face while I listen to the, the fast food song, I am yours. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I really like that song. I also really love the off the cuff version of the song Only Love Can Hurt Like This by Paloma Faith. Oh. That was a really important and sad song for me. Yep. Um, there's also a really good... A lot of these are just songs I perform to. Yeah, but, um, yeah, but it's like, really, oh, it's like, really... mm, I completely love this song. Ooh, that means I could do a good job of performing to it. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a cover of Jolene by uh, an artist called Lingua Ignota, which everyone should listen to. Jolene. It's on YouTube. It's J- 
Jolene. 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 Jo- yeah, we have different accents, babe. Jolene. <laughs> yeah, Jolene. <laughs> Jolene, I'm rolling. <laughs> um, and, uh, okay, so there's that one. And then, I'm trying to, oh, um, when doves cry, but not the cool original, the Quentin Tava version from uh, the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack by Baz Luhrmann. I don't know this. Um, but I'm it's, going it's, to check it out. It's so amazing. It's like hectic 90s drama and I really, really love it. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Hectic 90s yeah. drama is good. I have to say as well, just in terms of, but also the completely not hectic 90s drama is that also one of my favourite, favourite, favourite singers to listen to is of course... Uh, the Berlin-based artist Mikey Woodbridge, who is yeah, absolutely yeah. like also I really encourage you to check out Mikey Woodbridge. He's just like on Instagram, and it's just a, uh, an artist continually uh, releasing stuff that's just like beautiful and amazing and brilliant. Yeah, and she actually sounds a little bit like Tracy Chapman. Yes, and has finally done a cover of Tracy Chapman's "Fast Car" after I kept uh, being. Oh, has she? Yes, yes, yes. It's on Instagram. Yes, oh my and there's one of the bits okay. and pieces. Do I need to check it out properly? I'm like putting it aside. I'm going to light some incense, get into a deep light meditative trance and then just put it on repeat. Yeah. 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 I also, Lyra's album, um, Lyra Pramuk's album. Uh, I didn't know. Uh, Wait, where, what? Fountain. Yeah, Fountain. Fountain. It came out last year and there's some really, really beautiful, she did sound design on my most recent uh, piece, she A Touch did. of the Other. She, um, she, uh, came out with her debut album last year and it's brilliant it's all her voice um that she's like played around with and like it's just really really beautiful it's really good um yeah it's like um i really really love the way that sophie um was very inventive with Mm. like um uh with pop Mm -hmm. like she did she that she's she was like and Somehow this feels like there's a there's a really sort of like oh my god I'm going to use this word artistic approach uh, to music making in this album that I really really love. Um, mm. Yeah 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 yeah. There's certain things. There's, I really there's certain things that are really uh, joyful about uh, Sophie. It's also like, uh, are you into Arca? I haven't been able to. I'm into Arca uh, in that she's fucking hot yeah no completely fucking hot completely amazing but yeah I just can't I've not been able to get into the music like at all I can sit down and listen to it as like an art piece but I can't put it on and like just listen to it like I need to give it all of my attention otherwise it um well, uh, like it overwhelms me. Okay, maybe this is something to do because often why I don't listen to music while I'm doing things is because I like to just sit and focus on the, I like to be focused on the thing I'm doing often. Like I find mm-hmm. that the, the music experience can be quite distracting. So I could, I just not be able to get into it, but it's also as well that I'm, again, I'm not very, I'm not very musically talented. I'm not very interested generally, um, sort of like uh, in it. But actually today I was really sad and, um, and I, uh, and I was just like, you know what's going to, you know what I need to do? So I need to put on a jam. I need to put on something I can really feel, feel myself to it. It's like I can imagine myself to something that's just going to make me feel like I'm just in my space, dancing in my room. So I put on Goodbye Horses. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Getting into Buffalo your Bill. Buffalo Bill vibes. Yes. <laughs> Completely. I was like, I was like, oh yeah, would you fuck me? Well, I'd fuck me. Oh, fuck me. So, like, the, but he does have a good body in that film. He does have a good body. And also when I used to shave the front part of my head, I used to look kind of a bit like him as well. 
I know, like, there's a lot of sexy queers I know who at times have looked a bit like Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, yeah, well, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like literally the most transphobic depiction in film ever to exist, ever. I, I, I watched the, I watched this, um, uh, documentary disclosure on Netflix about the representation of trans yeah. people. Yeah, oh, I need to watch um, this too. Actually, in Hollywood, and actually, there is a line where they where uh, Jodie Foster is it Jodie Foster? Yeah, yeah. Explicitly says, um, or Clarice Clarice uh, explicitly says um, this. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is like um, this. Buffalo Bill cannot be transsexual. Transsexuals are very passive. They're not. They're not violent. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like the film does make uh, like a token attempt. It's like the t- transphobia is more sort of like subtext and like it's reference to a broader transphobic narrative. Yeah. But um, it, the film itself does try to um, uh, to give it gives lip service to the idea that we're not psychopathic killers. It goes a little far by saying that we're all really passive. Yeah, I know. It's just I, like that's like th- those gays do like, bad things. Well, it's also just like people are like people like it's not such a, like um, it's not such a surprise to um, uh, people inside the community. But a lot of people outside the community are very surprised how not passive uh, uh, many femmes are. Yeah, no. This idea, it's like transsexuals are very passive. It's like, well, (laughs) (laughs) no. Also, the other thing is, though, is that I've said it before and I'll say it again. The true message of Silence of the Lambs uh, is that the most evil people on earth are straight white men. (laughs) Which it's also as well that actually the, um, and what I love about this as well is that even, is actually that. Uh, that if this was just a movie, if Hannibal Lecter was not in this movie and it was just a movie about Jodie Foster, if it was just the interaction between Jodie Foster, Buffalo Bill and Buffalo Bill's victims, it would be the most transphobic movie in existence. But because there is uh, actually, there is the arch evil of Hannibal Lecter that actually, that then what he does is that what's quite interesting, it, it, then it, it somehow, um, I like that it allows Buffalo Bill to be a side character and Buffalo Bill's character to be a a side thing. And this is just a partial, a partial thing. It's not actually the focus uh, of the film and therefore it allows you to, to, to escape that. And then also because the Buffalo Bill then isn't the arch monosyllabic, complete, total, utter evil. It allows us to like actually identify a certain human element to sort of to them as well. And they're making this human suit. I do, I do a performance to the song Lotion by the Greenskeepers. Yeah, oh my God. Um, <laughs> uh, which takes the stuff, like, where it takes the, the, it's from the perspective of Buffalo Bill, and, the, like, the chorus is like, it puts the lotion on its skin, or else, or else it, it gets the, gets the hose again. again. Yeah. And I, I, did, I did this performance always, and gave, with, gave a preface about the importance of the new queer cinema in the 90s, and about how great it was to have, uh, like, positive trans feminine role models when I was a child. Yeah. <laughs> and then this was a, this was a tribute to that but the thing is i would rather have like i would rather have someone like buffalo bill than um like who is like cartoonishly evil yeah and like it's like you can't properly identify like it's just so absurd yeah um i'd rather that than some sort of like well-meaning but insulting attempt at like ascribing humanitarian uh, humanity to um 
like I'd rather that than Jared Leto in the Dallas Buyers Club. Right, because also the point is is that like Buffalo Bill is a seriousness that fails and therefore it's camp because it's so yeah. ridiculous. Like I um I also have to say as well like oh my god there's an amazing uh British uh artist called the best thing to have ever the only redeeming thing to have come out of Britain uh ever including myself like the, the only redeeming thing is uh this artist called swede mason on youtube who basically remixes mm-hmm. uh like 90s tv shows who like <laughs> did a remix of buffalo bill saying put the lotion in the basket and it's like so hectic and i like um uh i also also as well the other thing is right is that i love the i love the interplay between buffalo bill and his victim and how is, she's not just a victim she manages catches she captures his dog and you know that buffalo bill is like creates this huge architecture of things who's like and is gone about these things but then it all falls it all falls down as well you know rather than it's not this and so it's this very it's a very it's and it's also in in their quest for realization that is refused like again and again and again and there's someone who's just like just yeah ridiculous and also so the other thing is is that they were they were they're evil and they get punished for it but also at the same time as well there is this kind of like they in that moment of death i guess they are ultimately redeemed because they also we don't have to then you know, it's like, ah, you did a bad thing and you got punished and, like, that's just it. And then there's this idea, though, this nebulous, like, phenomenal evil of Hannibal Lecter out there eating people's kidneys that is just, like, that this is the true terror of the piece and this is the true evil. Yeah. Yeah. And he has abs. Yeah, also as well. I mean, I'm just like, oh God. Like, I have to say though, like Buffalo, the the existence of Buffalo Bill has stopped me from keeping pet moths a number of times because it's just going to be a bit too close to home. Yeah, <clears throat> I guess that's good. Um, yeah, I think it's probably anything that stops you from having more insect pets is probably a good thing. <laughs> Moths are really cute. It's... Um, I had a dream this morning. Oh, Speaking God. of Buffalo yeah. Bill, I had a dream this morning that I was a middle-class white English uh, cis turf, <laughs> um, and and I was I was like uh, like a, a German Greer sort of figure, and I was like I was uh, like really pleased with myself because I was coming up with these like offensive one-liners that like misgendered uh, like trans women and femmes, um, and I was like I re- I remember like distinctly remember this feeling of like savage joy that came up with like some crude like sort of like way of like uh being cruel to someone online um and i remember like the the specific feeling of how this was the only access to pleasure that i had because i was so full of hate Um, (laughs) and it was like a particular kind of really miserable sadism which they like it was it was a very I, th- I was like, when I woke up, I was like, that was a very skillful projection, unconscious. Well done. <laughs> because it was real. Because I was so proud of myself, but I was very lonely. I had no friends, um, and I was just like, like coming, like. And the reason I thought of this is because, like, Buffalo Bill is like an English turf's fantasy of a trans femme. Yeah. Um, and um, and so, uh, like, I, I, I was, uh, yeah, I was. It was really like it was quite. It was a very intense and very vivid dream. What were the one-liners? I can't remember. <laughs> and if I if I could remember them, I probably wouldn't say them on the podcast because I think I think they were quite good. No, no I, I, they, yeah, but I, they were they were definitely like this sort of like really um, like middle brow cruelty. Like yeah. um, Andrea Longchu um, in an essay called "On Liking Women" describes Jermaine Greer 
um, writing about a trans woman in the 80s. And she says it's it's very interesting to see uh, like this this message of transphobia um, ex- expressed in this like middle brow English literary sort of like style um, when usually the medium for that particular disgust is spit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so like, and like it's this very specific thing that British turfs use where they like, it's a very sort of like middle-class white British uh, like language that's used to, uh, to express disgust um, and this like degenerate form of feminism that they like um, fester in Um and I was, I was, I was like, I was in it. I was, that, that was, that was my bread and butter. That was the air I was breathing. And I was taking this like savage, but miserable pleasure in uh, making other people's, oh, because I was upset that my status as the victim was being displaced, which is, I think, it, it, this is also what I think of TERFs is that they're upset because they're not like victim number one. Like there's someone else, they have to care about someone else's pain, which is why it's almost exclusively like a white middle-class feminist phenomenon, because this is a problem that white middle-class feminism has always had mm-hmm. is understanding that there might be someone else who has a problem. Yeah. 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 It's also as well that this, this whole process of like, who is the victim is such a losing game. And then also as well, it's the only idea of like your pain is only valid if you're uh, a victim as well. Like I was thinking recently as well, like, um, I really want to see like, well, there's this process of like homophobia or transphobia or something like that, or this process of homophobia where basically people are like, Oh, you're, um, uh, you're literally, you're not being beaten up when you go outside and you're not being killed in the same way as you used to be. So can you literally just shut up? And it's like this idea that actually that 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 is the extent of like negative things. And actually that then it's also as well, I wanted to just like, I would really like to see some kind of like, just like short film that sort of like investigates like the consequences of homophobia beyond like this like absolute horizon of like violence basically but as it's well. also the thing is that these people say this but yes we are <laughs> i mean yeah it's like, yes <laughs> like yes. i like i had my jaw broken walking walking home last year and like and like the the, 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 the like yeah. the threat of i think it's very common with um with people who are subtly homophobic is that they believe because that they they don't see people literally being murdered on the streets that it's not happening yeah but it it is like especially for trans like for trans women of color especially trans women of color and uh, like and sex workers and yeah. stuff like this like, trans women, violence yeah. on, like um like violence on the street is a thing and also for gay men yeah but it, <laughs> it just is but like that's not the point you were making so this is yeah yeah, yeah. no point. it's it, but it's yeah. also as well as that then yeah it's also that yeah that this is this is this is happening and but it's also as well that then it's like the problem is though is that then what happens is within this discourse then when it does happen as well people are like well of course there's always going to be like the odd moment like that's basically it where it's like this thing but it's also the problem is is that also then we as activists are then put in a position where we have to overstate certain statistics or something like that for example yeah. on say uh like trans day of remembrance at certain points it's kind of like at some points it's like uh i think probably most likely due to problems with statistics is that you're at a vigil and names are being read out or something like that and it, like it, i remember one year it was like and these are the, the 500 or 600 trans people who've been killed and then it's like ah uh, here are the 30 like depending on who's doing it or who's got the list or something like that then sometimes it's like ah uh, and here's like the 
20 foot like the 24 trans women who were killed last year and it's just kind of like it's one of the things is it's to do with our culture's focus on 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 death and numbers in a way that fails to understand uh i know just the the just the social impact beyond these things because it's always like this many people died in the war this many people died of uh this disease like this and it's just kind of like i'm just interested it's like in exploring in like i feel that there's a failure within the way that we discuss things to make space for dispossession beyond death and there's this this rate it's just enough to say that basically as well as that just not being treated equally itself is a form of uh just a form of itself is fundamentally fucking unjust and it's just bullshit and it's just kind of like but i don't even really know how to articulate these things properly i guess which is yeah i think for me like uh, just as a side point i think with the like with the transgender uh, day of remembrance which to dear listeners who don't know um, it feels strange to say dear listeners at the start like in this sentence uh, it's where the names of people who are like uh, of trans people who have been murdered in yeah. the last year are read aloud as a sort of vigil um, and it's uh, it's a very common thing that the vast majority of these names are trans women of colour um, uh, many of whom are, are sex workers um, and uh, and so therefore, like uh, like working in uh, like dangerous conditions due to the uh, like illegalization uh, of uh, sex work uh, in uh, the places where they are, um, and um, so that's just like so I, th- I think um, that like the discrepancies in like those names more just comes down to it's like a global um, like uh, attempt, and then like there aren't like big news outlets or like uh, well-funded organizations that can help us make a standardized thing. So it varies throughout the world. And I think, I think that's one of the reasons that it varies is because it's like, it's everyday people who are doing it. But like, um, I think it's that like, I see a big problem when it's like, people can't understand people have this idea that there's like, only so much victimhood to go around and yeah. that if someone someone has a worse problem then that makes my my problem less important and i think transphobic feminists have yeah. uh, have this have this problem is that they think that like uh, acknowledging uh, the problems that um, and the oppression that trans women face would mean like no more talking about reproductive rights uh, like for women and other people with uh, uteruses um, or um, no, talk, no more talking about violence against uh, women, as though violence against trans women isn't violence against women. Yeah. But like, um, but like, it's it's this fundamental failing to understand that it like that you're missing an opportunity for solidarity. Like, mm-hmm. if uh, like if a trans woman looks at a cis woman, like, well, it's, it's it is also a bit harder for trans women, particularly in the UK. Um, because there is such a heavy volume of transphobic bile coming from cisgender feminists um, in the UK. It's famous for it. Yeah. Turf Island, I've heard it called. Turf, I- um, <laughs> turf yeah. Island with a fucking... Tur- like, Turf Island with a new coronavirus strain. Yeah, so it's the turf strain. Um, <laughs> God. But uh, the... Uh, <sighs> like, what's missed is that, like, if uh, trans women and cis women both face pandemics of male violence mm-hmm. 
then it is in their interests to develop bonds of solidarity to understand what are the things uh, that like, of course, the specific ways in which they suffer can differ. But like they both have a common interest in fighting against male violence. Right. And so it's and so it's like it's it's a total waste of time to be feeling threatened and worried that someone else's victimhood is going to eclipse yours because it's not it's not like it's not a currency suffering is not a currency and if it was it's like it's bad it's not something that we should be trading in yeah. and so what what people need to understand is that someone else's suffering is a potential like it's um recognizing someone else's suffering is an opportunity to create a bond that would potentially end both of your suffering rather than a competition to be who see who can be the most visible victim. Yeah, but it's actually it's to do with the... Because being a victim sucks. Yeah, Sorry. but no, it's to do with the British process of uh, meritocracy, which is that there's this term meritocracy, which is the idea that you get your position via merit. So it's this idea that you've yeah. worked for what you've got. And the thing is that meritocracy is complete bullshit. It was a term that was coined as a parody for... Uh, Oh, it was a dystopian thing. It was actually a, a, a it was a critique of a certain of Labour's policy at a certain point. Because the point about meritocracy is that middle class parents will never let their mediocre children fail. So meritocracy mm-hmm. is bullshit. But then there's this idea that I've worked for this and I've done these things and all these things. And basically, the point is that these terms are middle class, middle aged women who have individuated themselves away from who have experienced male violence or male discrimination at some point in their history. And now, basically, these ones who are writing for The Guardian repeatedly have oh. the material means that they don't experience this anymore. But then also as well, they're desperate. And they're basically as well is that then it's necessary for them to hold on to their identity, hold on to this, this because all identity is constructed through violence, more or less. Mm. All identity is more or less constructed through some kind of imposition in general, uh, in like uh, within the structurating forces of the ego, which is why often that we define ourselves through uh, through negative forms of punishment constructs identity which is like Foucault talks about this Sartre talks about this I can't really like get it for you right now but I could but whatever um, and so and I understand this because also even though I've said that class is a complete bullshit it's very important to acknowledge now me as someone who's worked at becoming an artist for uh, 10 years has beca- got access to uh, middle class privileges now having previously not had them and that's because i come from if you want to get into the various degradations of what class are and stuff having come from the aspirational working class which is to say having a certain level of cultural capital to value things like deferred gratification and also to have certain levels of manners to talk in a nice way to please certain things to know and basically is use this uh, and also had parental support to be able to work in the arts for long enough to kind of get connections to these things now i have access to things um uh, beyond what I previously had and it's also to a certain extent is that then within this process I've got to have access to my emotions and it's been hell it's been complete hell because if you don't have uh if you are put in a certain place by a certain things you don't have to do this which is also this is why uh heterosexual relationships often stay together longer because the social process of marriage and the social process that approves the union of an AMAB and AFAB individual um, has this other big other societal form of thought that allows you to exist. So the thing is, is that these middle class turfs who uh, have moved away from being certain things to retain their own personal sense of identity need to attain this own personal form of wounding that they see trans women as threatening and that is why they do this and you can see this in jk rowling on her essay because she talks about experiencing male violence when she was younger and that um and that's something that happened to her and now she uses this as a way to justify her contemporary and continuous 
uh, transphobia and her way of mm. putting these things on uh, a pla- the platform that she has. Mm-hmm. It's it's really interesting because um, this this makes me think uh, like. I've read a couple of people say that one of the reasons, I think I've said this on this podcast before, one of the reasons that British feminism is so much more transphobic than American feminism is that uh, African-American feminists don't fall for this turf bullshit. Like, like, without exception, have been really good uh, at, like, incorporating the new knowledges about transness um, uh, into their frameworks um, including like at like you know like bell hooks um, and uh, and Angela Davis like both like both like yep okay this is how this works with this and yep. I and are happy to are happy to have had their emancipatory frameworks uh, enriched by the contributions of trans feminists so like um, and one of the things that we um, uh, that we see like what like one of the reasons I think for this is that like um, already like in the book Women, Race and Class by Angela Davis, uh, like she already talks about how uh, the because the uh, like the, the women's suffrage movement and the slavery abolition movement uh, had one organization in common uh, that, that like that was fighting for women's suffrage and the abolition of slavery. Right. And then uh, this broke down. Um, over like on the you have like the women suffragists who um, were wanting to prioritize basically women's suffrage over the abolition of slavery so um, they basically sold out on the slavery abolition uh, slavery abolitionist movement and then some of them turned out to be like fully fledged like uh, like supporters of of like racism and some even slavery for now, they said. Um, so, um, like uh, yeah. this, like this, this kind of like uh, like this tendency to sell other people out through an obsession with one's own victimhood rather than focusing on solidarity is something that goes quite far back in like uh, like in the in the history of feminism. And so, it's something. But like, but um, in general, like and like the the people um, the black. Uh, like uh, slavery abolitionists uh, were very constant in their support for women's suffrage. Mm. So this was like, this is a thing I wrote about in my uh, essay, um, A Case for the Abolition of Men, um, (laughs) was that um, actually like uh, W.E.B. Dubois or Du Bois, I I only read the name. And and, uh, Frederick, uh, Frederick Douglass, uh, were both very steadfast uh, supporters of women's suffrage. So there is a particular kind, uh, like a th- like that you can draw. Um, I think you can draw a chronology between turfs in the UK uh, now and like elsewhere, and uh, these women suffragists who were willing to sell out their first allies uh, to prosecute their own cause, and also there were first allies, including all enslaved uh, and non-enslaved black women in the country. Mm. Uh, were willing to sell their mouths like for that particular thing of course not everyone and blah 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 but we can see this 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 like prioritizing of one's own suffering at the expense of everything else it dooms your own cause and uh it's also just like politically morally ethically reprehensible yeah well it's also this is what i was going to say is earlier on when there was like this discussion of like are the petty bourgeois supporting trump in america and stuff like that that there's 
and this idea that uh, we as middle class people are somehow better than working class, you know, but we're actually all like these things. There was a huge situation within that, which is the way that white supremacy works is to make the white working class feel better than people of colour who are also in the working class. And that actually that Trump's campaign really took advantage of this as well. Mm-hmm. And because, of course, of the uh, the petty bourgeois is overwhelmingly dominated by white people in comparison. But um, yeah. have you been on Google today? Have I been on Google no. Well, you know there's a Google Doodle. Sorry? You know the Google Doodle? <laughs> Google no. Doodle? Google Doodle. It's when Google has a special thinker as a... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, Today sure. is Audrey Lord, and on the quote mm-hmm. it says, Audrey Lord says, there is no such thing as a single-issue struggle. Yeah. And then, because we do not lead single-issue lives, well, our struggles are particular, but we are not alone... And what we must do is commit ourselves to some future that we can inc- to include each other and work toward that future. With the particular strengths of our individual identities. Isn't that nice? That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, maybe we- you know, I think that's a really, like, what that makes me feel is that, like, it makes me feel similar things to this is that I'm, t- I'm doing a bad job of doing a tie in. But like it reminds me that like a collective sense of solidarity is like music in that it, it makes, makes the, the people, people come together. Come together. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Right. Yeah. That's fucking it. I'm done. Yeah, well, that, uh, no, that's, uh, yeah, amen. It has been a pleasure, mostly sometimes, talking about music with you, Oozing Glue. <laughs> like, I'm ready for the fucking revolution. When are we doing it, Limpy? When are we doing it? I have electrolysis on Tuesday, so as soon as the swelling goes down, I'm down. Bang! There we go. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And when are you releasing your uh, cello concept album? <laughs> Oh yeah, we didn't talk about those. No, wait, you're right, you actually played music. Actually, but I've, I've got to tell you something that I didn't tell you. It's really funny. I actually brought a keyboard off eBay Kleinenzeigen. Oh my god! So we're in a band now. You're in a band now. Yeah. Well, I'm just. I'm yeah. just well, I, this is it. Actually, this is one thing I was going to say. I didn't say it's just that it's just for the fact the keyboard is a way to to use the left and the right hand at the same time, and that this causes mm-hmm. a different form, a different ways of thinking. Which yeah. and music is just like so completely beyond me that, and I just my brain needs more stimulation. So just trying this. But it might fail, okay. in which case I'm selling a really sweet retro <laughs> keyboard. Great. Well, um, we will... Uh, Release a concept uh, album you. very soon. It's going to cause yeah, a revolution. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and it's going to uh, be available on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, we'll put it on uh, put it on this channel. Yeah. Um, slurry uh, Sings. Slurry Sings. <laughs> If you like this episode, and if you didn't, uh, then uh, please uh, post it on Instagram. This is a great way for us to find new listeners. Like us, um, follow us, favorite us, um, kiss us on the cheek, uh, or just put sexy things in our mailboxes. Um, and uh, there was another thing. Oh, you can email us at slurryspeaks at gmail.com if you have questions, comments, feedback, or just a des- burning desire to speak to the manager. Um, and there was one more thing. I um, want you to shoplift. I think that, okay. yeah, if you want to support our podcast, just shoplift. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, <laughs> see you next week. Bye. <laughs> Bye.